1: ChumbaCasino.com. Live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. Boy, boy, prohibited by law, AT Plus terms, and conditions, website for details. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of Ookla speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022, and Cox serviceable areas. Visit cox.com internet for details.
0: From the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. The Chamberlain. He's got it. Jerry West made it from the other side of the midcourt stripe. strike. To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is on to celebrating. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. From a time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside, got it! Oh, man! Yes. Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win. Yes! LeBron James! And rings were handed out like candy. one, here's Jordan. Yes! It was all over. have won. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Barry Bouguet. And it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bougay, and before we get started on this episode, just wanted to uh, plug something really quick. Uh, I, uh, I just recently wrote an article for the Draft Class, which is a new website developed by sports business classroom students, and uh, I, I did an article on the, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers and the uh, Los Angeles Clippers, the Battle of L.A., and, and kind of comparing those two teams and uh, talking a little bit about why I think the Clippers are, uh, are the title favorites this season. So please, I urge, uh, I urge all of you to check that out. It'll be releasing uh, the day this podcast will, will come out. But uh, now that we've got that out of the way, uh, my guest this week, a very special guest, he's made appearances on the 94 podcast, the Bench Mob podcast, and he also works with a site, Hootball, who uh, focuses on fantasy sports and specifically fantasy basketball. He'll be doing a lot of stuff in, in regards to the Charlotte Hornets for that site. His Twitter handle is at Corbin NBA. Corbin Ford. Corbin, thanks so much for coming on. Hey,
2: Garrett. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to kind of get down to these games. It's a lot of fun. I'm a big fan of your show, so it's doubly an honor for me to be on right now.
0: Well, I appreciate that. And uh, as you just mentioned, we, we just got done uh, watching the opening night games from the NBA. We're recording this uh, right after that uh, TNT doubleheader. Uh, the first game, of course, being the Toronto Raptors and the New Orleans Pelicans. And the uh, the second game being the Battle of L.A. between the Clippers and the Lakers. And, and Corbin is a big Lakers fan, so I'm sure he's got uh, plenty of thoughts. But let's start with the opening game, Corbin. And the, the first thing that I thought was notable about that game was the starting lineups. First off for Toronto with uh, the backcourt of uh, Lowry and Van Fleet starting. And then also with the Pelicans going super small now that uh, Zion is going to miss six to eight weeks with that uh, meniscus surgery, uh, they they went with Ingram at the four and then played three guards essentially with Holiday playing at the three spot. Yeah, I
2: did think that was interesting. I knew that there was going to be adjustment. I know they're going to go bigger or smaller with Zion. I was tending to go smaller, but I didn't realize that they were going to just jump straight to the gun with the three guard lineup. Um, speaking of New Orleans, and that was really interesting to me. Um, for Toronto, I thought it was a little more predictable. I like the larry Fred Van Vliet, um backcourt. Yes, it's small, but they're both tenacious defenders. They both can penetrate and pick seams in the defense. And so I figured, you know, you have a creative balance of playmaking, shot-making ability, and, and just enough pressure defensively that kind of overcomes their lack of height. So that wasn't as big a surprise, but, yeah, it was really interesting to see both teams go small from the get-go. Um, and kind of fun, to be honest with you.
0: Yeah, the the Toronto thing is interesting because I agree as far as the, the Van Fleet in there in the starting lineup, that that really is their best five-man unit. Uh, and and they were able to kind of do the stagger, similar to what uh, D'Antoni has done with the Houston Rockets the last couple of years uh, with, with their two star guards and, and take Lowry out pretty early on and then bring him back towards the end of the first quarter to play with those second units. Uh, but the thing for me, and, you know, I... Uh, I've always been a uh, you know a proponent of making sure that the guys that maybe lack a little confidence uh, are playing at their best. And a guy like Norman Powell, he struggled for, for big portions of this game. And I think it would be an interesting idea for Nurse to maybe look at giving him a start because Van Fleet's going to play well whether you start him or bring him off the bench. No, that's
2: definitely true. Um, and it was interesting to me also that they only used, I mean, to go along with just Toronto and the way they were playing, Obviously, their backcourt, you know, with Van Vliet, as you said, along Lowry, is is their strength. That's their best unit. But they only went AD all night. You know, Terrence Davis got a lot of run. Um, Norman Powell played a lot of minutes, but you're right. It, it would make better sense balance wise, especially if you know that Van Vliet's production is not going to diminish in any way coming off the bench, that you kind of start with more of a traditional unit. Um, I'm definitely hiring Norman Powell. He brought uh, you know good play today. Not much on the points. We can definitely get into his little shot making later or lack thereof. But um, there was some rebounding. You know what you're going to get from him. It definitely
0: makes a lot of sense for me as well. Yeah, and I I always look at uh, what Steve Kerr did with that uh, those early Warriors teams and bringing Iguodala off the bench and starting Barnes. Not because Barnes is better than Iguodala, but just because Barnes plays better as a starter. And I think Powell uh, has shown that throughout his career as well. But um, yeah, the, going, to, uh, going to New Orleans and, and those lineup decisions, it was really fascinating to me the, the fact that, uh, for one, Derek Favors only played 21 minutes in an, an overtime game as the center, and they also played three centers. You know, They played uh, Okafor a little bit, and then Melly who looked really good out there.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of odd by that, I mean, taken aback by that, because you're right, it felt like there was moments where Favors definitely could have had more of an impact. Melly played really well. Um, and I know he kind of rolled some at the five later in the game. Um, Okafor obviously got some minutes there, if on that closing lineup at times. But that was interesting to me, and I get going small. But the Raptors gave Marcus all heavy minutes. You know, Pascal Siakam was all up in there. There was plenty of spots. Abaka as well. There was plenty of spots where you would have thought that Favors would definitely an impact. So I'm not sure if it was more. Gentry trying to keep a faster, smaller lineup up there, or maybe him trying to play just off the floor, maybe go at him with pick and rolls to kind of get him out of the way type of um, strategy. But I did think that was not only 21 minutes in a game that he definitely would have been needed, I thought. In, in those 21 minutes, 6.7 rebounds, he was making an impact around the rim. Um, it, it was one of those moves that were more, more befuddling to me than others. But I can kind of see where it's going if, okay, we're going to take a small lineup and kind of attack Toronto's bigs. Maybe they can't stay with this in space. Let's get them in foul trouble. From a strategy standpoint, in that way it makes sense, but but even then, he's he's still one of your best bigs. I'd rather be more comfortable with him out there than Okafor if you have to choose between the
0: two. Right, and especially uh, towards the end of the game, in the, in the final five minutes, Okafor got got some run over favors even then and, and had a couple of bad fouls, one fouling a three-point shooter and then also uh, fouling, I believe it was Siakam on a drive. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that hurt them down the stretch. That was definitely a game that the Pelicans could have easily won. But, you know, looking at David Griffin and the moves he made in the offseason, not only with all the draft picks, but the free agent acquisitions with Favors, Redick, and Melly, all three of those guys fit in pretty seamlessly. Yeah, they work really
2: well with this team. Um, I like having J.J. Reddick was shooting right out, especially... Um, from the game, all the game. I mean, he went six and nine from the field, four six from three, but just raining in bombs. That was cool. Melly, same thing for a five from three. They, these guys were efficient. They were snipers. They knew their role. They played within it. Um, they kind of helped the young ones along because you did get a lot of run to Lonzo Ball, to um, Frank Jackson, to these guys, Brandon Ingram, all these guys who were like 23 and under. So it was really good to have these veteran pieces that are surrounding them that know how to play in these games, that can perform in these moments and and kind of give balance to a young team that can easily fall apart in moments like this. It was a tight game throughout, an overtime game, as we already mentioned, like having those kind of players there to kind of steady it down, to make a big shot, to know where to kind of leave space, cut open, make openings in the offense and also to cover for each other on defense, that's big. Um, and Melly, I haven't really even watched a whole lot of him. I watched some in preseason, but what a boost he brings. I mean, that, that guy, he can shoot and his floor-spacing ability on a team that desperately needs it. Um, you already have Redick, but that's just one person. Now you bring another piece in Melly who is more of a big can swing between the four and the five. That opens up things so much more for Ingram, for a holiday, um, for a ball, to kind of do their work in between the margins.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I love the idea of Meli playing with favors even at times. And then also, once Zion comes back, I think Meli is a perfect fit, especially offensively. Uh, they might not be able to get any stops, but uh, the... Uh, <laughs> The uh, the the, another interesting thing I saw from Gentry in this game was in the first half he went with a with an entire five man bench unit with uh, Alexander Walker Josh Hart Etwan Moore Kenrick Williams and Okafor and uh, you know certain guys I thought looked good I thought Josh Hart had some really good moments Uh, he had a couple of really nice plays where he uh, he took the elbow to the face on the you know uh, showing verticality to Powell and then also blocked Siakam on a backdoor play. Uh, but And then Alexander Walker certainly wasn't shy, even though he uh, he struggled from the field. Yeah, no, I, I I thought that was funny, because, you know, Gentry,
2: I guess at his stage, he's looking at it like, hey, we have a deep team, we have players, you know, 1 through 10, 1 through 12, basically, who can get some time, so no need to saggle, let's get those guys in, and you're right, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker, he had no problem getting shots up. I mean, the ball was in his hand, the ball was up and out. Um, only one of them actually found the target, but it was still fun to see that, but I liked these young guys. I I don't have a problem with the way that he played that strategy, except you know, in closing lineups. I think he went a little too deep with with the bench. Maybe I would have brought in Lonzo Ball a little bit earlier. Um, but you're right. Josh Hart played gritty. You know what you're going to get as a Lakers fan. I've seen him in L. A. He plays tough, knows defense. He's going to get in there. He's going to put his body on the line. He's going to knock down some shots. Um, 15 points and, and 10 rebounds in 28 minutes for him on three or five shooting from three was was mad efficient. Um, Alexander Walker. Um, One thing you could say is, for lack of accuracy, he did not, you know, he had a lot of aggressiveness in terms of getting shots up. And some he he missed were more contested. Um, He was definitely not shy about putting them up, but some of them you can look and say, okay, it wasn't even about just misfiring. I know he had a couple of gimmies near the basket that kind of didn't go down, things of that sort. Um, Frank Jackson, I like the way that he played, especially coming off um, two injury riddled seasons, just coming back and really getting some time now. First game, didn't really have the best shooting night, but I liked the way that he played just on the floor, a steady game. Um, Etan Moore didn't give too much, but he got some time. I mean, the way I see it, the Pelicans are such a deep team that I'm not even too concerned about him doing those bench lines. I think that they can actually play decently for stretches against certain teams, you know, and not be run off the floor against better teams. So it's not really a big concern for me. I think there were moments, though, especially late in the 4th, into a little bit of overtime where I thought that certain players should have been in the game that weren't. Um, I know going down to critical, end of third quarter, early fourth quarter stretch, I saw a lot of the young guys that were still in, and I was like, okay, you know, Alonzo's been out for a while. Definitely thought that more in the fourth quarter as well. Um, you can get him back in. You can get Ingram back in. Those were interesting decisions, but I think that Gentry is still trying to figure out his rotation, figure out his lineup. He has a deep team, so many different pieces. You know, we even mentioned – you know, Jackson Hayes, whenever he's X out, you know, fact on the team. Um, you know, you have so many other players that are on the team right now that can actually give contributions. So I think he's really just trying to see what sticks. And with Zion out, you have more of a perfect opportunity to really showcase more of these players and, and kind of see what lines can work together in certain
0: situations. Yeah, the, uh, the they definitely uh, have a ton of depth and, and and most of their guys showed that they can they can play out there. And again, even though Alexander Walker... Uh, you know, was, was missing shots. He certainly didn't look out of place out there. What were your thoughts on uh, on a couple of the, you know, we already talked about Hart, but what about the other couple of former Lakers and Ingram and Ball? How did you uh, feel they played? Um, well, Ball made me laugh. I mean, he is the,
2: the classic sideline. I mean, we saw us a lot in L.A., 8-5-5. Five and five. Only got seven shots up, um, two or three from three. Um, he looked confident from the line. I liked his reworked shot, and I liked at the very beginning. I think the first three... That the Pelicans made was just a shot he got. I mean, he received a pass, just coming into um, the front court and just let it fly. I mean, or just coming the backcourt and just let it fly. And that type of aggressiveness we didn't really see too much from Alonzo um, at all, really. So it was really cool to see that happen as the game went on. I mean, he didn't take a lot of shots, but I think that that will come. But ultimately, it was it was really encouraging. It was for me trying to put it in perspective because some of the way he played now, it's not a revelation to me i mean he's playing the same type of steady defense get some rebounding he made some really nifty passes he was doing that in la as well it's just a different you know obviously a different location um maybe a different spotlight on him so i don't want to take too much of oh wow he's playing so much better but that rework shot definitely makes a difference you saw it in a couple of jump shots he took you saw which the free throw line and in one, in one spot, he went down, just knocked down both free throws, no hesitation. It's a lot more confidence. And I think that, in and of itself, just makes him better just from the offensive end. Yeah, your shot doesn't have to look perfect. I mean, we have so many I mean, Kevin Martin, other players who don't have um, quote unquote orthodox shots, but they go in, you have confidence, repetition, make it happen. This shot looks so much more compact. And I like that for him. Um, But as far as rebounding, assists, and really getting the ball moving, going up in transition, same old Lonzo Ball. is really good to see him run with some other young guys, though, um, alongside him in New Orleans. But Brandon Ingram, oh, man, he's a funny guy. I I think he's one of the more complicated cases in the NBA because he is so good at using his length and getting the shots that he wants. But the shots that he wants are like the dreaded mid-range shots. Like, he is more comfortable... You know, taking that or taking post-ups where you would think he has an advantage because of his length. But then he'll kind of start posting around the mid-post area and take a tough fall away or just decide to rise and fire over the top. And it's like you can definitely get yourself a better shot. At the same time, you know, he was aggressive, um, 8-19 from the field, 22 points. He shot some threes to shot five. Uh, made two of them, but he shot them more of confidence, whereas in in the previous years, he kind of took it as a last resort or, you know, kind of wide open. You can tell it wasn't his comfort zone. I'm still not seeing that it is, but at least he looks more confident. And again, as I was saying with Lonzo Ball, that that really kind of makes a difference as far as just how they're going to play. Okay, at least you're going to take those shots. You know, he's not a horrible three-point shooter. It's just not his strength. He likes to get into the mid range. And for me, it's like, okay, Lonzo, you can get so— I mean, not (laughs) Alonzo, Brandon Ingram, you get so much better shots. But, I mean, if he's efficient there and he knocks him down a good clip, I can't hate it. So, so it's the same Brandon Ingram. I think he's going to get more of an opportunity to show um, his offensive prowess as a go-to guy while Zion is out. Or <laughs> one of the go-to guys as someone who can create his own shot on a fairly consistent basis. Um, but tonight was more of a mixed bag. There were some shots he took that I was like, why? There were some shots he took and made that I was like, classic Brandon Ingram. Um, but I did like to see him shoot the threes. with with a little more of a high volume for him. Um, And and compared to him and Josh Hart, I mean, it was like watching, I think Lakers film on Twitter said this great, watching the Pelicans game and then watching the Lakers game was watching the Lakers pass and then the Lakers future, like in that way. I mean, as long as the Pelicans are on, you know, we, we watched Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, and Josh Hart develop over these past two, three years. I'm going to watch them. And it was really kind of cool to see them in a different space with renewed confidence. I think there is a certain element of being Away from the main spotlight and all the drama that comes from LA, that can help these guys to focus on their games. And yeah, they went from one element to the other with Zion Williamson and more eyes on on the Pelicans just by proxy of that. But you can tell that each player um made certain strides
0: in their games, that I think will behoove them to have better um future in the long run. The added pace uh, that uh, that Alva Gentry plays with, I think, really suits those two. You know, Lonzo, such a, a fantastic passer. Uh, you know he can he can find guys in transition and yeah he he looked like with his uh, with his new jump shot not only just the confidence to take him but also it seemed like even the defenders uh, seemed to respect him a little bit more and, and get out to his shot he was able to, to drive and, and dish a few times as well and and Ingram yeah I agree there there were some there were still some shots where you're you're just kind of like well yeah that's that's not the the most efficient shot you can take. But uh, at least his decisions were quick, and he was getting into the areas that he's comfortable with. He, he was able to uh, draw a few fouls on that patented pump fake that he's so good at. So so for the most part, you know, if I'm a Pelicans fan, I'm, I'm pretty encouraged from what I saw. Oh yes,
2: without a doubt. I mean, definitely looking for more to come. And, and you're right, that, 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 that rework jump shot, they see, uh, the defenders see the Instagram videos too, they see you know, the workout <laughs> videos, they know, okay, we gotta close out a little bit, if for nothing else because they, too, believe in the offseason hype, but but it's, it's really cool to see that
0: um hype realized, at least for one NBA opening night game. <laughs> yeah, Um. so let's move on to a few of the uh, the, the Raptors players, uh, I mean, the the guy we've got to talk about is uh, Fred Van Fleet, I mean, he had a monster of a game, I believe he was 12 of 17 from the field, uh, just doing a little bit of everything, knocking down threes, creating and, uh, you know, finishing and getting into the paint, and... and He's just so crafty with those hesitation dribbles and and using his body to fend off defenders. Oh yeah, Fred VanVleet, man, what a night! He messes around and keep playing like this. Um, he might move out of the Raptors' price range next year. Right. But <laughs> he was something else. I mean, confidence
2: is one thing. You saw that all last year. You know, through the playoff run, Fred VanVleet plays a lot of heart. He plays a lot of confidence. But again, penetrating, getting to the defense. See the defense distributing, knocking down the shot. I mean, the shot looked like it was going in every time it went up before it went in. Like, he just has that much, not only is it just a good-looking shot, but that much confidence in it, knocking down the big shot time and time again. The dude plays really well above his height um, and was just a pestering mess with the defensive end, too. A really solid game for him. You can see there was no um championship layoff for him, nothing else, no rust. <laughs> he was locked, loaded, and ready to go. And he really paced. The Raptors attack tonight. I mean, we could definitely talk, and we're going to, I'm sure, address Siakam and the way that he played. But Fred VanVleet was really the pulse all throughout. You needed a bucket. Something came down. You obviously went to Siakam. But then Fred VanVleet with the bomb from deep. Fred VanVleet getting to the line. Fred VanVleet getting in the way for a rebound. You know, that was the kind of game that he had tonight. And you can see his impact was felt across the court. A career-high 34 points. He had five rebounds. He had seven assists, two steals. He was literally
0: at every faucet of the game tonight. Yeah, I mean, going into the season, I think everyone would have assumed that, yeah, the, the best the best route for the Raptors in terms of the offensive end is to just give this Siakam the basketball and let him feast. But throughout most of the game, it, it seemed like Siakam was forcing it at times, and they looked a lot more comfortable and a lot more potent just giving the ball to Van Fleet, letting him run pick and roll, letting him make decisions. Uh, yeah, he was absolutely incredible. But yeah, what were your thoughts on uh, on Siakam's performance? I was going to say the same thing you did. He, he
2: kind of felt at times that there was four shots going up, um, 11 or 26 in the field. A lot of them, you know, he had a bunch of those types of shots where he missed, get the rebound, miss again, kind of bunnies. So I kind of hooked up. But there was a lot of forays to the basket that I thought were um, misguided at best. Um, passes could have been made out for other shots. I did feel like maybe he thought he okay. This is where I need to go and attack the basket. This is where I need to go and get a bucket, even if it's not maybe the best scenario for the team. Um, at the same time, I did notice that the refs were giving him those calls. They gave him those uh, those uh, semi superstar calls. <laughs> he got to the line um, a bunch, knocked yep. down uh, ten of eleven from from the free throw line, so that was nice. Um, two for five from three. I think there was one three in particular that I, I even marked on remarked on Twitter was an above the break three from the left wing. That was okay. If he could shoot that three consistently, then then you might have a problem, like a real problem. You already have a problem with Siakam, but that's gonna raise him up even another, you know, even if it's an incremental level, another level. Um, the other three he made was, you know, the one the, the three he usually get, which is the corner three. But for the most part, you know, he he has this style about him that's just really interesting to watch. I mean, it, it's a, you know, makes the post-ups. Um, he had a really nice like off-foot right-handed layup on the left side. That was really interesting. Um, he's just an intriguing player for me to watch. I do think maybe he tried to force it just a little bit, but boy, and maybe my fantasy team is more happy about this. Um, but he racked up the numbers, 34 points, 18 rebounds, five assists. By no means did he have a bad game. It was just, you know, it could have been a lot more efficient. Um, he could have played a lot more within the team, within the flow. Um, I don't know if it's maybe him thinking that, okay, I need to assert myself here why he needs to be that guy and take some shots. And yeah, you know, Kyle Lowry didn't have the best shooting nights. Um, OG and Anobi didn't have it. Aside from Siakam, it was really, um, Van Vliet who's really bringing the offense consistently. So I don't give a lot of that, or I don't put a lot of that on Siakam. But at the same time, as good a game as he had, it could have been a lot more efficient if just four or five of those shots weren't attempted
0: and were just passed out for better ones. Yeah, that's a really great point. I think, you know, in, in a lot of situations where players, you know, are are – you know, have an ascending role, and there's a lot of shots and points to be made up for. Obviously, with with Kawhi and Danny Green gone, that's about 38 points a game. Uh, you know, a lot of players, right, would think, okay, I just need to take more shots. When in reality, it's just I need to be the focal point and draw in defenders and get my team more good shots. Um, and, and, yeah, another thing was a little bit concerning from what I saw tonight was the, the ball handling from Siakam. It seemed like he, it was a little shaky at times. There was one play where he was isolating right near the free-throw line and kind of lost it. Uh, so that's something, you know, if he's going to ascend to being that go-to number one guy, he's going to have to sure up some. Oh, yeah, most definitely. harold got to be tighter.
2: Maybe a little better floor awareness. There was a couple times where he drove into the thick of the defense, and there was kind of shooters out there that he could have knocked the ball out to. Um, got him. He had five assists. He could have easily had eight or nine, just making some more simple reads out of you know the double team or out of going into the teeth of the defense. So there are some things that tighten up. You're right, his handle at times was alarming um, just with the ease and, and lackadaisicalness of it. Just threw that out there. Um, you know, especially against defense that was kind of focused towards him. But all in all, I mean, I'm, I, we're, I feel like I'm nitpicking him, but at the same time, monster stat line, he played well, um, considering he just could have played that much better, and that's my only real gripe with Siakam um, on his performance tonight, on a, on, a, on a performance where, you know, like I said, again, aside from Van Vliet,
0: the Raptors did not really shoot well as a team. Yeah, you mentioned this earlier, that the Toronto played just eight players, and, and obviously New Orleans, it was kind of the inverse. They were playing the 11 or 12 guys. Uh, I mean, did that surprise you? Like, were you expecting to see a, a Stanley Johnson or a Patrick McCall or even a uh, Hollis Jefferson out there on the floor tonight? Oh, yeah. No, that definitely surprised me. I, I thought that um, Terrence Davis getting 15 minutes came out of nowhere, sort of, to me. Yeah, and he honestly didn't look too bad. <laughs> no,
2: he was solid. Came in, did his part, knocked down some shots. It, it was really solid play for him. Um, but I did think, I, I thought, okay, it was an inkling that maybe Stanley Johnson and um, how Jefferson wouldn't get too many minutes after we ever, you know, most of us already heard um, Coach Nurse kind of talk about their effort and how they wouldn't go on the floor if they were prioritizing offense over defense and really fitting in with the championship identity of the Raptors. So that came out a couple of days ago, and I knew that was something to keep an eye on. And so, sure enough, you know, first quarter into the second quarter, I figured, okay, he's not getting more run. But as you see the Pelicans going deeper and deeper into their bench and bringing in NBA-caliber guys, it's not like they're bringing in, you know, guys off the bench who can't do anything. I did think, okay, Raptors getting winded. Let's bring in some other players to counteract that. Let's bring in a Pat McCaw, who I'm not really sure why he didn't play, but he did have infrequent times last year with Toronto, so maybe it's really a a, a need-based or a fit-based kind of um, matchup for him to go out there by nurse. I have no idea. Um, but I, I did think it was interesting that you did not bring Johnson or Hollis Jefferson in, especially when I think they could have matched up a little bit there. I think at times Marcos looked completely out of it. Um, I, I mean, I think he spent a lot of time partying and celebrating, and
1: rightfully so, but <laughs> there was times where he was just he just looked slow, and not slow like, oh, you know, foot sweet slow, just
2: like late on reactions, late on closeouts, late, you know, and just <laughs> all losses of the game of the defensive end that you do not want to be late on. Um, so I definitely thought you could bring someone in like a Hollis Jefferson, who is more mobile, who can play a small ball five at times, and could also kind of help with those switches and be more active and engaged on that end. But I know, maybe that was some layover there. Maybe Nurse just didn't feel the need to go deep. I did think it was interesting, though, that you did have two players who played well into 40 minutes and three more who played just over 30 minutes, and you didn't at least give them some run.
0: Right. Normally, Nurse's is pretty good with Playing the center that really you know has it going for that particular night, and uh, Gasol really didn't uh, didn't have the shot, and as you said, kind of looked a little bit slow out there. Uh, so I, I was surprised that Ibaka didn't kind of take his minutes down the stretch, but I guess Ibaka wasn't looking terrific either. Uh, but uh, yeah, let's move on now towards the to the to the end of the game and, and talk a little bit about the the closing moments. Nick Nurse had a great uh, after timeout call that got Van <laughs> Fleet a corner three, uh, with with a pick and roll on the, uh, the the opposite side. See,
2: I totally jumped past that to the other play closing out, but no, that that actual play Shaw just then was was perfect to, to kind of finish the game. Great way to free up space for Van Fleet and just enough time for him to get the shot off and up. And with the guys as it was, I mean I saw the shot go up and I knew it was money. So you're right. I mean it, it made up one Great ATL made up for uh, earlier horrible ATL, um, where I guess for some reason we thought we'd put the ball in the hands of, uh, of uh, Norman Powell to kind of rise up for the game winner. But that was a sneaky underrated play. Um, we're going to see the highlights all the time, but really just for the shot and
0: not for the actual action that got Fanfleet open. Yeah, the, the play you're talking about with Powell was right at the end of regulation with the game tied, and, and yeah, that was a little bit confusing as well for, for me. I guess the the logic there is, uh, you know, even as good as, as Van Fleet uh, was and, and is as a player, he's not necessarily a guy that can just rise up over somebody, whereas Powell has got that athleticism where he can get his shot up at any time. But, but yeah, especially given that, that Powell had really mostly struggled on the night, it, it was a bit strange. Yeah, I, I will say, as you said just a minute
2: ago, not only just the fact that Van Fleet's ability to kind of create that separation to rise up was you know possibly in question, but he had come down to ankle a little bit earlier in the game. I yes. think, Late in the third or early in the fourth, so that probably also hampered him a little bit. And you know, Nurse is trying to be a little conservative there and not risk any you know further um, action on that already kind of injured limb. So I get that, but um, no, he the, the plays at the end especially from Nurse to kind of get players open. It was underrated. I mean, he definitely found going to the, to the hot hands, but also putting them in position to make the play. I mean, it wasn't like Van Vliet was just sitting there. He, he, he wasn't getting wide open shots, obviously, but he was also not really forcing things on the team of the defense and making contested jumpers all night long. It was some really underrated play calling down to stretch, and as well as some um, dubious lineups for the Pelicans defensively, I thought that really helped make the difference to kind of close out the game. Because you can't say the Pelicans ran out of steam. If anything, that argument could have been more used for the Raptors only played those eight players. But down to stretch, you had that experience and you have that coaching um, from Nurse to kind of put players in better positions on the offensive end that I really think kind of drew them away down to stretch.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get in a little bit more to what you mentioned, the the, the Pelicans lineups near the end. And, and obviously we already discussed uh, Okafor being out there. For, uh, for some crucial minutes and how that hurt him. But then also you know JJ Reddick is such a, a tough call in terms of whether or not he should be in a closing lineup because obviously, we saw it tonight, his offensive game is incredible and uh, he really can get your offense out of a, uh, uh, you know out of a rut uh, pretty easily. Uh, but but then at the same time, you know, the Raptors throughout the game really were able to successfully attack Redick. Kyle Lowry had some transition opportunities where he drew some fouls. They even posted up Ananobi on one play on Redick. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, he, he had some struggles down the stretch defending as well. Oh yeah, I definitely put Lonzo Ball in for those, because you're right,
2: the Raptors went at him in relentlessly as well. And as good as Redick is on the offensive end, and he tries on the defensive end, but I mean, it's not just age and size, he's just not really built to go up over and over against post-ups, against directed, concentrated attacks on Reddick. Maybe a Reddick of, you know, four or five years ago, possibly could have held his own. Even then, he still would have been, you know, a major liability on that end. But now, especially with the fact that Lonzo wasn't shooting you out of the game or taking anything away from the game offensively, I think you put Lonzo in that situation to kind of stand up better to bring more switchability to the lineups to bring more versatility defensively um, than Reddick. I think that was a poor call by Gentry to kind of keep Redick in there as long as he did because offensively you're right um, you know he, he was knocking down shots very efficient but defensively it wasn't there and again it wasn't like Alonzo was just shooting bricks out there he was pretty efficient on the offensive end he wasn't taking anything away from a playmaking shooting perspective so you live with what he brings on offense and you know what he's going to bring on the defensive end, and that would better match up, especially down the stretch, where I, I don't understand why Gentry didn't go with that. Again, there's, there's so many of decisions that, in retrospect, can and probably will be analyzed as to why he didn't go to certain matchups early. And yet, the seat is one game. But that, to me, was definitely puzzling, especially when in a situation like it was between the um, Rapids and Pelicans laying the game, that's as good a situation to bring Lonzo in in general, someone who can get the team into their offense, someone who now with the revamp shot and confidence can possibly shoot and make the big shot. He was making big shots um, the last couple years in L.A. Um, I remember one game against the Spurs knocking down several clutch threes, and that was just him shooting as he was. So, I don't know. It's That was one that I was really puzzled by, especially when I kept seeing guards and forwards kind of go at Redick on every specific action down the stretch, and it was like, you could just bring Lonzo in and mitigate all
0: of these issues right now. Yeah, that's where the the coaching really comes into play. You know, you look at a guy like Gentry, he is known more as an offensive coach, so he's going to probably prefer to play those offensive guys, whereas, you know, you look at a guy like Nick Nurse, and I think he's the exact opposite. He's going to play the guys he really trusts on on the defensive end, the only other uh, comment or note I had about this game, and um, it, it might be a play that most people wouldn't notice, but in overtime, I believe it was the three that Van Fleet hit in the corner to to push the Raptors' lead to 127 to 122. But the bounce pass Mark Gasol made, he caught it on the left wing with uh, with Van Fleet in the corner and Drew Holiday coming out and trying to be in the passing lane. Most uh, most players would just throw a chest pass, and Holiday would deflect it out of bounds. But Gasol with a beautiful bounce pass right into the shooting pocket, and Van Fleet hit the huge shot. That's
2: a great observation. I remember the pass as you're describing it, but I didn't make as much note of it as you did. And you're right. I mean, Gasol offensively is just, from a passing perspective, I don't want to say it's defined. He just is so intuitive, makes so many great reads, um, so many different kinds of passes. You know, and and that was one again that's underrated. And you're right. Probably won't get as much notice but it was it was a beauty of a pass i didn't even realize as you're saying it, i'm seeing the coverage you know in my head from drew Holiday sliding over and gasol just getting the pass past him so yeah it, and right in the shooting pocket, it was a beautiful pass that is very very true um and you're right one that really put the raptors in position to pull away because right after that you know pelicans get turnover miss shot larry hits another big three game, set, match, but all put in position by a great pass by
0: Gasol, who did not have a great night, as we already talked about. Now, uh, Corbin, was there anything else uh, that you had in your notes about this game before we move on to the one I'm sure you're most excited about? I was going to say, I think we covered this pretty thoroughly. I'm, I'm excited to get to the nightcap. All right, so uh, obviously the second game in the doubleheader was the, the Los Angeles Lakers- and the Los Angeles Clippers, and uh, certainly it's a fun matchup, obviously two teams in the same city. The game was played, uh, technically the Clippers were the home team, but it seemed very much like uh, it was a pro-Lakers crowd. Oh yeah, I mean, just from the opening where, you know, Kawhi Leonard is addressing
2: the crowd, hey, 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 and he's just being drowned out by booze from Laker faithful, um, I was just giddy, <laughs> watching that, going, okay, yep, yeah, you know, you can have a uh, Clippers home game, but we kind of know where where we're really at. This is Lakers
0: country. Um, L.A., as far as the Lakers, are are the big brothers here. Now, uh... At least for that moment. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um... One of the things I noticed, this isn't really detailing the game in particular, but uh, in terms of the visual presentation from TNT, they, they started showing the, the shot clock actually on the court, kind of faded, but uh, right near that uh, free throw line circle area. What were your thoughts on, uh, on that little visual addition? So, funny, I
2: thought it was completely unnecessary, yet really kind of cool. I mean, I never paid too much attention, I think, Oh, you know, long time NBA watchers kind of have, you can look, you can see the shot clock if you're looking for it, but you also kind of have in your head, okay, it's been 14 seconds. Okay, you got less than 10 seconds. You know, kind of a running narrative in your head about how much time is left. But it was really kind of interesting, and I kept finding myself drawn to the clock. Because I go, okay, especially with the Lakers offense, oh my God, where it's like, okay, you know, whatever you're going to do, get it done, you have six seconds. Like, that happened again. And again and again throughout this. So I'm glad you brought that up because, especially watching this particular matchup, I may focus on the clock way more in this one than I did in any uh, of the previous um, raptors Pelicans matchup. It was it was just that interesting.
0: Yeah, and and you know just. Just that idea on paper, it, it could be bad, you know, like if, uh, if it's not subtle and it's very obvious out there, it could almost be distracting, but I think they did a pretty good job of making it kind of faded away to the point where it's just a nice feature and it doesn't take your eyes away uh, when you don't want it to, um, but uh, looking at the, the starting lineups for these teams, the, the Lakers went with, uh, I think, a lineup that most of us expected, Uh, A little bit surprising on the Clippers' side of things with with Doc Rivers electing to start the likes of Patrick Patterson. Yeah, I thought that was odd. Um, I
2: guess it went with what is being called the sliding lineup. Um, I'm trying to seek more uh, more, uh, of a definition on that, but I did think it was an interesting look. I guess from Rivers' perspective, Patterson was more mobile, big enough to kind of body up um, Davis a little bit and presented an interesting matchup for him. I didn't see it. I don't think the play showed it at all, but I could see him saying, "Okay, let's try to switch it up and try something different." But yeah, again, that that was one that I thought was odd. I didn't really think though that there was a matchup adequate enough for AD on the Clipper side to begin with. So at that point, you you could have put Patterson there starting, you know, Jermichael Green. Um, it wouldn't none of those matchups would have phased me. I did think it was interesting when with Patterson. I'm thinking uh, even then. Okay, I've been thinking about this for a second. And on the offensive end, I'm thinking, okay, you have someone who, you know, at best will do his best to kind of slow down um, Davis from a strength perspective and is mobile enough to at least attempt to stay in front of him. You couldn't have Zubac there at all.
0: Right. Um, So I I thought that that was interesting. At the same time, you could have
2: the same thing with Jermichael Green, and he did take more and make more shots and more efficient route side that maybe you can also tax AD on the other end by having a stretch big that has to be accounted for. So – I think in this case, if that was the mindset that Rivers was going with, he might have been going more off the reputation of Patrick Patterson than the actual Patrick Patterson that is you know, in the NBA right now. Um, I would have been a lot more comfortable going with Michael Green, just in that sense, because you have to re- realize that no big on the Clippers is adequate enough to stop AD in a one-on-one scenario as is. So I didn't think they had to do anything fancy. At the same time, uh, I mean, great for trying to uh, be different. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, Patrick Patterson in 2015, I think, would be a, a very solid starter for the Los Angeles Clippers, oh, yes. but uh, yeah, apparently Doc Rivers hasn't watched him for the last three years. I uh, mean, this is Doc Rivers, though, in general, isn't it? He'll pick a player <laughs> he saw three, four years ago, sign them four or five years later, everything works out swimmingly. Yeah, if, if if a guy had 20 points against his team four years ago, that sticks in his head. Oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Another interesting off-the-court sort of thing is the, the, the coach's challenge. We saw Nick Nurse do a coach's challenge in the in the Raptors-Pelicans game and fail on that Powell drive where he elbowed Josh Hart in the face. Um, and then uh, the Frank Vogel was able to have a, a successful challenge on a uh, and-one call that Lou Williams scored the bucket and was going to get a free throw, and he got that uh, changed to an on-the-floor foul and, and saved his team three points. I thought it was interesting. I actually, a
2: guy that I, okay, this is where I get for probably being too hyped when I watched the play originally. I thought that they didn't get the challenge. I don't know how. Um, cause I made a tweet saying, wow, both coaches tried and messed up on there. So I had to amend that, having watched watch that later. But again, this challenge is interesting. Um, there are some more cynical people out there who think it's just time for, um, an insertion of another commercial break or something. But I think it's cool. I think that maybe coaches could wait a little bit longer. I mean, um, I know in specifically in regards to Vogel, the play that he called the challenge and one, I think there was a play, not even, what, six or seven plays later, on like a foul block call that could have been challenged that probably would have also been successful, that probably would have been more impactful in terms of um, dulling a Clippers drive, if I'm remembering this correctly. But I did like the fact that both coaches went to her, oh, let's get it out of the way. Let's, you know, We see a play that we don't like, you have one. Why the heck not? Throw it out there
0: see what happens. Yeah, now you may actually be right because I, I do remember the announcers mentioning that it failed, but uh, I'm not sure if that's just uh, the, the NBA is technically calling it a failed challenge because it didn't reverse a foul call. It was still a foul. Um, uh-huh. so, so that could be the, the complication there. Uh, but, but yeah, it seemed to me that they, they had uh, a bucket on the board and then when we came back from commercial, the, the, the two points had been removed from the scoreboard. But, yeah, it's, uh, it, it is a little bit frustrating, though, that uh, it, it seems to take a lot longer than you would hope, and, and it forces a, another full timeout, which, again, uh, for everyone like you and me that are watching a lot of basketball, more timeouts are never necessarily a good thing. Oh, no, never that. I agree. It could have been a lot faster, in my
2: opinion, in certain cases where you, you know, in real time, everything happens so fast, kind of a blur. Get a replay. Maybe two. You can see it then. Let's move on. The six, seven, multiple angles. I think it's only worthy if it's that tight of a game. The stakes are that high. If you can look back and go, okay, maybe we made a mistake here, then just own that. You know, don't take ten minutes to kind of figure out a simple
0: did he step on the line. <laughs> right. So uh, the the big question uh, for uh, for you, Corbin, as a as a big Lakers fan, is uh, how did you feel about uh, Anthony Davis in a purple and gold uniform?
2: Okay. So. All things considered, and I have to say this, Anthony Davis played as well as I could hope for as a Laker, um, it, it just, just the full realization of, okay, opening night, the season started, we have Anthony freaking Davis on our team. Um, that in and of itself can still get me hyped, even at this late hour. But I, I, I will say, you know, he, he wasn't the most efficient from the field, um, he didn't really knock down a whole bunch of jump shots, I'm sure that will come, and, and, and then we have the full monster Anthony Davis experience. But in general, just a straight up beast. I mean, getting several different clippers in foul trouble, getting to the line, getting get a nice put back dunk. He was active. Um, you could tell he's the focal point. He's gonna eat because legs are gonna feed him. And and those are the positives off from that. I mean, he definitely racked it up just on this game. What 25, 10 and five. Um, monster numbers. I mean, for AD. I, and and that's the positives I have. Uh, there's, there's some negatives there as well. I, I wish you would knock down a few more um, jumpers. But most of it I don't even put on AD. I think it was just a style of play tempo-wise, and I think a lot of that I, I, I want to place on LeBron um, in terms of being the de facto point guard for this team as far as getting AD the ball in spots that he would be most successful in. I even tweeted this out midway through. I don't remember Anthony Davis. He had no more post-ups, I feel, in the first half of this game than I remember him having in, like, I, I'm not even going to put an arbitrary uh, time period on it, but just a lot.
0: Right. Um.
2: And, and that was, at first it was cool, okay, we have an advantage, bam. And, and then it wasn't so much an advantage as the Clippers kind of game-planned around it, started cutting off the weak side, Um. made things a little more difficult for him. And I'm sitting there going, okay, so where are the pick-and-pops? Where are the pick-and-rolls? Where are we going to get AD doing what AD does? Um. This is one element of AD, but this is not Anthony Davis alone. And, and it, it never really happened. And, and that was... Where I have a knock on, but I I don't know whether the fault lies entirely with AD for, you know, making the most of what he got, or with LeBron for not really taking advantage of his star player's
0: talents in its full realization. Right. I mean, it it very much felt like going back to with LeBron and Kyrie, where it was a your turn, my turn sort of situation. And I think what uh, what made this duo seem so enticing to me was the idea of, that, that LeBron, as as a passer and a, a pick-and-roll player, how much he could help Anthony Davis's offensive game. And, yeah, you're right. We, we barely saw any pick-and-rolls, any pick-and-pops whatsoever. It was just kind of throw it to Davis, which I think is, frankly, the weakest part of his offensive game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he has
2: slight moves down there, um, a nice little duck-under kind of move. Uh, quick shimmy, most really quick spins, slight counters. It's not really a lot down there for him to work with, especially when you dump it down the post and the whole defense knows and they can cut off passing. And Dave's a great passer, but he's still very much, I think, a field player in terms of his touch from the outside, in terms of getting the ball and, and feeding it, you know, from inside out and, and making everything work from there. He's not a guy who can just do that with. And I think that kind of messed up all elements of his game, especially when you put that in conjunction with. What I felt a horrible um, lineup manipulation as far as getting AD in, getting LeBron out, taking both of them out, putting both of them back in together. And the way that it was done, I had issues with because it didn't feel, I mean, that there was a flow offensively for the Lakers throughout. And then you're right, when AD was just the focal point, even then, maybe because there's a lack of adequate ball handlers to get the ball to AD in that way, because... Once LeBron got the court, they're pressuring LeBron, but LeBron makes it look so easy that it didn't even feel like a big deal. But then when you take LeBron out and you bring in um Quinn Cook, six seconds left and it's like what are you
0: The, uh, the lineups were a little bit confusing. I think uh, I noticed in the last minute of the first quarter they actually had a lineup without Davis or LeBron out there, which that should never happen. Uh, the, you know, In the second half, uh, in those uh, with Davis on the floor and LeBron on the bench, uh, especially in the, in the middle of the fourth quarter, they had a, a couple of really stagnant offensive possessions where it just felt like it wasn't going anywhere. And then, you know, perhaps the reason why they didn't do as much pick and roll is they figured the Clippers, you know, with, with the likes of, of Kawhi Leonard and, and Jamichael Green, uh, they're, they're, they were just going to switch those actions and then you're just going to have to attack one on one anyway. So why not just ignore that and just get it to Davis right away? But those, those constant, all that energy that, that Davis is expending one on one and trying to create offense for this team takes away from the defensive side of the ball and and really i think he's more important to this lakers team there because if they're going to be a top 10 even uh, you know approaching a top five defensive unit it's going to require davis being a defensive player of the year candidate oh yeah it is because
2: aside from danny green i did not really see a lot of uh let's say exceptional efforts defensively for the lakers uh it was rough i mean there was one where. Okay, Troy Daniels got you know um, several more minutes of run than I was comfortable or would be comfortable giving him mostly because okay he further stretched the floor um, and teams had to respect that but I mean he didn't have the best shooting nights so I'm not getting into it really too much one for five from three two or six from the field in general but defensively man the dude was just letting uh, just everything was getting by him I know there was one um action where the camera angle was like right on the players um and lou williams bringing the ball up and troy daniels was you know kind of sticking him as they went up the court and lou williams made a move that was a quick deceptive move but he made it fast and it seemed so much faster from that angle because troy daniels i kid you not flashed off the panel like just flashed around the frame as, as as, Lou Williams got over the shot that he ultimately missed, but I remember going oh my gosh, get him out of here, because he's not good at the point of attack, his, his <laughs> awareness on the defensive end is almost non-existent, he just was a net negative there, and so could be said for a lot of Lakers, LeBron's effort definitely ebbed and flowed on the defensive, and then some of that I give, um I'm okay I give some leeway to because of the offensive pressure that he was giving to the defense as the only player capable of getting the ball up the court and into the offense or any semblance of the offense that the Lakers had in a decent time um, without looking completely overwhelmed and or missing every shot. At the same time, though, there was one play where had uh, a nice wide-open shot, in fact, several players did, also just supremely laying closeouts from LeBron, and I get some of it being, you know, Tired and playing a long game and having such a workload, but a lot of that's effort. Right staying with it. Not letting your defense down. And you know, they're talking about how Anthony Davis would motivate LeBron and people were interested to see how that worked. And in my head I'm sitting there going, it'll work like it always has. Like LeBron will say the right things, but ultimately LeBron's gonna do what LeBron does. And if he feels that, oh, now's the time for me to step up and play defensively in people's skin, then he'll do that. But the problem is, um, he hasn't done it so long, I don't think he's done an all defensive team or anything since Miami. Um his defense has been well, i picking up when I need to, but as it's getting older, I think I we'll have to understand that the picking up when I need to, um, it kind of needs to be picked up before you realize that you don't have it anymore. And that, let's just say there's a hole in that jacket,
0: and what you're looking for is gone. It fell a long time ago. Yeah, LeBron is is such a difficult guy to evaluate defensively because he obviously has those those uh, those crazy highlights on defense. You know, he had that play in transition where, uh, he, uh, he blocked Shamit and then took a charge in the ensuing uh, um, loose ball. Uh, but then, yeah, there are times, like you said, the, the lazy closeouts, the not getting back in transition. There was a play as well where, uh, you know, I know that the defender typically guarding a guy, a shooter in the strong side corner should not help off of him. But there was a play where he's guarding Patrick Patterson there, who, again, is, has not shot the ball well the last couple of years. He's a guy that I would say you, you should make prove it and Kawhi drove past uh, Danny Green, and LeBron is in position to help, but he doesn't slide over. Kawhi is able to get right around him, and then he made a little dish off to Zubac for an easy bucket. There, there's so many plays like that that are just really frustrating where you're exactly right. It's just a matter of uh, making the effort to get in front of the ball, and and perhaps, you know, with, with LeBron's age at this point, that is the biggest sacrifice he's had to make in the game is he, he just doesn't have quite as much energy as he used to. Yeah.
2: I get that. I totally do. And defensively, I mean, it wasn't like he was guarding Kawhi, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Like, for the most part, that was on players who I felt even less adequate to stand for them, like KCP, who just has no chance nor reason to be on um, Kawhi for such extended periods of time. But, but you're right, that, that effort, you know, could come with the workload, could come with age, but either way, I mean, if you have championship aspirations, this is not a league anymore, if it ever was that LeBron can just coast. It's definitely not the East, where you could definitely get away with some games like that and still step up when you need to. Um, uh, it, it just it just isn't going to work. And so for LeBron now, I mean, I get it. They're still working on some kinks, but there are some troubling signs that he can look at, hopefully, that can go, okay, I could have closed out better here. Okay, I could have made more um, of a read on this end to help out on the weak side here. So do different things that would have been smart, sound defensive plays, even if you're not willing to fully exert yourself on that end. But at the same time, you did mention um, that one sequence that was great from a defensive standpoint. There was another one, I think it was late in the third or early in the fourth, where um, it was a turnover on the Lakers, turnover two-on-one, um, and um, Kawhi was bringing the ball up and then dumped it behind him to Montrez Harrell, and LeBron was the only one back there. And at first, I'm still going, okay, easy bucket for the Clippers, and LeBron's going to shrug your shoulders or point or whatever. And instead, LeBron swipes at the ball right at the perfect time, it goes right off Harrell's knee, and it's the Lakers' ball again. Um, veteran plays in the mind of a basketball savant like LeBron
0: Lakers, I think, championship aspirations a lot are going to come down to to their defense and their ability to get stops. I think another issue specifically in this matchup for the Lakers' defense is, you know, with, uh, with them playing heavy minutes with a traditional center with Dwight Howard or JaVale McGee, uh, you know, playing that conventional drop-back scheme, the, the Clippers have the perfect personnel to, to dissect that with Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams both being just lethal from the mid-range.
2: Oh, yeah, time and again, they were feasting down there. And you're right, they had no answer for the Williams all night. There was no answer for Kawhi all night. Those guys got whatever they wanted. And, and again, as we've been the horse with this defensively, this just can't happen. I mean, in this time, I, I look at it like the Clippers are just a better team, I have to say, than the Lakers are at this moment. Maybe the Lakers will gel better. Um, Maybe they'll pick up a piece in the bond market or make a trade, however unlikely that may be later, to bring in someone who can kind of show up some of their weaknesses. But right now, you know, the Clippers are, are, are a step above, and, and there's no crime in that, no shame in that. But it is a shame when you could say, okay, we could have played them a lot tighter and made better moves, except we didn't bring the necessary defensive attention. We didn't bring the necessary defensive effort, and our offense was stagnating at times, and, and, and like it is with others. But but you're right, the focus on that was defensively, because offensively, the Lakers were on spurts, and as bad as they were, you know, and we could point out flaws and things they could do to improve, that wasn't really the sore spot. But there was a moment, uh, I think, with five and stuff in the fourth quarter, where I was starting to get hype, and my Laker optimism was really riding me. Okay, we can still make a game out of this. And then like my more rational, I went, no, we can't. Lakers can't get a stop. Right. If if you can't get a stop at any point in the game, then then how are you going to be able to do that? Early in the game, when the Lakers were on that first, I think it was 13-2 spurt, it wasn't because they were locking down the Clippers, it was because the Clippers were missing shots. And then once they started making shots and getting the looks that they wanted, the Lakers had no way of stopping them. For pretty much the rest of the game, um, you know, aside from a couple forced turnovers here and there, um, in which give credit to the defense for that. So, again, yeah, there, there was things to pick on both the offensive and defensive side, but you literally can't stress enough that the defensive side is something the Lakers really have to shore up, and it starts with effort and, and attention, but also picking up the defensive intensity because you're going to see more teams like the Clippers, maybe not, you know, just killer um, run-over-you type teams, but really good, really solid teams the Lakers have to beat in,
0: in order to, 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 to really succeed in the ways that they want to. Yeah, and you know the the Clippers showed why they're they're my picks to uh, to be title favorites. You know the. Just so many active hands, so many great defenders creating turnovers. Mo Harkless was really good in this game. Patrick Beverly was pesky as usual. Obviously, Kawhi is one of the best uh, steel artists in the game. And then, you know, they've got Paul George coming back at some point. Uh, this team just has so many guys that are just going to wreak havoc on opposing offenses. It is really scary. Uh, and, and then, you know, you, you look at the bench. And, uh, you know, that, that was the one obvious advantage the Clippers had. And, and maybe some people looked at that and said, well, the, the Lakers can overcome that. But, you know, you look at some of the numbers from tonight's game. Jared Dudley, minus 20 in 13 minutes. Troy Daniels, minus 13 in 16 minutes. Quinn Cook, minus 9 in 17 minutes. And then the two big bench guys for the Clippers, Harrell was plus 15 in 38 minutes and Lou Williams plus 13 in 37. Yeah. Then you have kind of
2: the nature of the game right there. These players were just net positives all throughout. I think not realize how damaging, uh, particularly Dudley, who I thought was playing pretty solid, was. But you're right. I mean, th- they really came out and showed that. You can see there. And-, and mind you, another plus 13 you're mentioning, I've never seen such a dominant 2.10 rebound, 6 assists performance as I did from Patrick Beverly tonight. I mean, the dude plays bigger than his size. We already know this. We see him stick LeBron. We see him stick um, Kevin Durant, really getting to the skin. We see the intensity, but I felt like he was putting an imprint on that game from the defensive end all throughout, cutting off. I mean, there was one time where he
0: broke up and uh, attempted a lob um, to Anthony Davis, racing from the weak side. Yeah, brilliant amazing, play, like, no, brilliant play, leaving exactly. KCP. Yes, and he was
2: doing this consistently throughout the game, not making reckless leads or making reckless reads, but leaving at just the right time, knowing like, just when to double on um, the a tie-up, a tie-up he got with Anthony Davis. Um, I think it was in the first half, where he um knew just when to, to sag off his band and spin or, or spin right into position to kind of catch a spinning Anthony Davis and meet him at the ball. And those types of reads, those type of reactions, I mean, it felt like he was everywhere. Watching I was like, Wow, we cannot get away from Beverly. You saw him hounding Quinn Cook. Um, he attempted to hound LeBron, but you can definitely tell there's a, a difference because LeBron didn't look 2 phased and made some really nice dimes in spite of that defense. But Dropped things, make things happen, muck things up. And, I mean, he did not shoot the ball well at all. There was a couple threes that were well short Um, on his end. He went 0 for 5 from the great beyond, 1 for 7 in general. Um, But still, on the offensive end, he made a couple of nice passes to keep moving the ball. I know one time he saved the ball that was kind of going out of bounds Um, and made a slick behind the back pass to Kawhi in the corner. I'm not sure Kawhi made that shot, but I was more impressed with the pass that, that Beverly did to kind of get the ball to Kawhi from the situation that, Beverly
0: Yeah, he's very you know Kyle Lowry esque in that respect, where Lowry you know doesn't necessarily have to uh, you know they're both capable shooters and and can put some points on the board, but they don't necessarily have to 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 impact the game in a in a positive way. Uh, you know, going back to the, the the Clippers combo of Harrell and Williams, I think it's so fascinating, and you know they they've shown that they can do this even going back to the postseason last year, but. Coming off the bench and still playing in the high thirties and minutes is just such a challenging thing to do, you know, because you're basically coming in say with seven minutes left in the first quarter and playing the rest of the half.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's really weird to go. Okay, you've been, you know, stagnating, kind of watching him unfold unfold, get in there and give heavy, you know, minutes and heavy concentrated minutes. And I, I did think that was interesting, but wow, I I'm just, whew, it, it, even now breaking down this game of year, I'm still stunned by like the waves of emotion of excitement and concern and and just so much more to unpack. It's definitely going to be a game I'm interested to to rewatch tomorrow and kind of pick more things out of this. But wow.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, one thing that uh, is was very obvious is that uh, that Kawhi Leonard is still uh, very very good at basketball and is perhaps. Uh, the, the best player in the NBA, he looked completely healthy out there. He looked even more confident, and uh, he, he seems to just get better and better each year, and he just makes it look so, so easy. He does. I mean, there was moments, uh,
2: especially when he erupted, um, you know, he missed his first two shots, and after that, I think he was paired from the field um, in dropped to 20 points a half. Um, and he just kept getting any shot he wanted. And mind you, some of these shots were kind of difficult looks. Um, Midway jumpers fading to the left, top threes, where defenders were on him, but he gets just enough lift and has just enough touch. He's an assassin from out there. A legit cyborg, as I was saying, in just how he can just manufacture points at a consistent basis, and there's not a single thing you can do to stop it. Um, and if he's not scoring, he's getting to the line. And, and it was it was such a dominant performance i'm sitting there watching him take over hitting shot after shot after shot and going oh that's not going in. oh that's in oh that's tight oh that's in oh that has a chance to miss oh that's in and going wow like this is this is this is devastating
0: yeah uh and and another thing that i that i uh was was pretty impressed by in this game in particular is his passing i think his passing is has, has been something that's been a little bit underrated in terms of uh, a skill that he has developed over the years, and he, we sh- he showed it uh, in last season's playoffs and making the right pass when, when teams converged on him. And in this game, he had a couple of, he had one amazing pass uh, that, uh, that didn't result in a bucket because McGee came from behind and got a block, but a beautiful little pocket bounce pass to Harrell on the roll. He also had a play uh, in the second half where he, he got doubled kind of on the, the, the right side of the lane and was able to find a shooter in the left corner. Uh, he he just continues to uh, to improve his game and and uh, th- this Clippers team seems to be perfectly built around him where you know he's such a s- unstoppable one on one scorer and if you do double uh, they they've got plenty of shooting.
2: Yeah, and, I mean, and you're right that that passing development is big. And mind you, I still am waiting to see Kawhi McBore. I don't even want to say advanced reads, but the pass at least the pass, or, or be more of a playmaker in that way, but he was finding open guys and making some fairly intricate kind of passes in tight windows. In times, um, find the guy in the corner in tight situations where he's spinning out of a double team or spinning into traffic Um, that hadn't even developed yet, but were like just opening up. So I did notice and go, "Wow, that's not a pass cool I would have made, you know, two years ago." Um, So you can see that there for sure. But uh, yeah, the way the, the the Clippers have, especially with Mo Harkless knocking down shots, um. um Michael Green knocking down threes. If these bigs and they're important, these bigs and these wings for the Clippers are going to space out and just be um, snipers from outside, it's going to be tough because you're not going to be able to guard quite you know, decently most teams with single coverage. And then if you bring someone from the weak side or something to help out or shade into a double or whatever, you're going to have an array of shooters that the Clippers can throw out from Landry Shamet to Michael Green that can step out and hit that shot. And Mo Harkless who. Um, brings a lot to the table defensively, but if he's knocking down corner threes and efficient from that end, that's great for the Clippers, and that is
0: a wide range of attacks, and we haven't even mentioned Paul George yet. Right, Uh, and as a Clippers optimist coming into the season, I I saw nothing that that changed my mind about that team, and in fact, I think they maybe looked even a little bit better without Paul George than I would have expected. Uh, But uh, talking again about the Lakers, the one bright spot I imagine for you watching this game was uh their their uh, big free agent acquisition in Danny Green, who ended up with twenty-eight points on ten of fourteen shooting, including seven of nine from three. Oh my gosh. I don't know how
2: many times I went Danny Green, Danny Green all game. I mean, the dude came to play tonight. I mean I think he set no, yeah, he he set a record for um most points in a Lakers debut. Um with twenty-eight.
0: Wow. Um yeah, which was interesting. Um
2: Kareem Abdul jabbar had twenty seven and LeBron at 26 last year. So yeah. And that was LeBron had, with, um, 26, I think was tied with magic Johnson and one of the Laker. I can't remember, but yeah, that was impressive. I mean, this is, this was a showing that shows to me that Danny Green is that third star in the sense that, yeah, you know, not super high usage. Um, can't really make much shot creation or can't really make any shot creation on his own. Um, you know, by getting open, getting to his spots, knocking down the shots, being mad efficient. Ten or fourteen from the field, seven or nine from three. Played solid defense throughout. Got some tough rebounds at certain points. It seemed like he was the only person um on a Lakers team that got badly out rebounded this, this tonight. That was really getting in there and kind of sneaking away and getting some um some boards. There was one I think where he snuck in and put a put back in the second half. Um. That just kind of, he literally just slipped in and, and grabbed the rebound. There was another where the rebound um, had already been taken by uh, Montrez Harrow and he kind of stepped in the way of a telegraph pass from Harrow to uh, Kawhi and just stole the ball and laid it back up. He was active. And when that shot is going in, I don't expect him to normally shoot it at a 45% clip like he did last year for Toronto. But at the same time, if he can do anything even approaching that, that is going to do wonders to Lakers' spacing because you cannot leave him open. And through that third quarter, I mean, what? I think he hit six threes in that third. I want to say five threes in that
0: third quarter. I think it was six, and he was a big part it of the 15 0 run the Lakers had as well. And the, the the big talking point with Green in, in last season's playoffs was his inability to to attack off the dribble. And in this game, he he had a couple of nice drives. He had one where he finished uh, going right, and then he also had a three that he hit where I believe it was uh, he 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 took a handoff and then was able to dribble around the screen and, and find some space to to fire away. Even that is is pretty encouraging. Oh yes, I mean, there's something there that you're right that he
2: can probably possibly build off of. Um, in that way, not doing too much with the ball. Um, I don't return to KCP. Uh, we all remember <laughs> right. that last uh, that last preseason game against the Warriors, where he was waving off to clear out to, to air airball a three. Um, you know, stay in his lane. I think Danny Green will do that um, and, and do that at a high level. As far as just knowing what to do with the ball, what he can do. He even got to the rim a couple of times on some defensive breakdowns from the Clippers. Had a really nice Statue of Liberty layup kind of um, kind of move um, down the lane that I thought was cool. And and that was something interesting as well. Like having the assertiveness to get the ball off the pin down or off the screen see the lanes open and tag the basket and, and, and go from there and he did that a couple times, I want to say two or three times as well that kind of built on that performance it was just, I would give Danny Green if I'm giving report cards, to an A++ and I don't even do that but that's how big his performance was as well as being one of the guys who at least considerably could stay in front of Kawhi, um, this being the first year I think since they've both been well not since they've both been in the NBA but since Kawhi's been in the NBA that they've been on different teams um but being there and, and not stopping Kawhi but slowing him down for sure there was even one point in the game where you know Kawhi had lost the ball like Danny was kind of getting his hands in there and Kawhi to kind of grab it and then take a pick and roll and shoot a contested mirror and shot but Danny Green was getting in there and mucking things up um in a way for Kawhi that I thought was interesting but because the Lakers were kind of used their switch um, defense a little bit there was times where Danny was on Kawhi and then it got switched. It was Avery Bradley, and I'm just throwing my hands up in disgust.
0: Yeah, uh, Green was yeah. I agree was uh, was as good to, as to be expected if you're uh, if you're a Lakers fan. And you know the uh, another thing, just from a league pass perspective, going back throughout LeBron's career, I think it's really fun when he's got a guy that is a is a sniper. Even going back to his Cavs days with uh, with Kyle Korver, it was so fun seeing him, especially in transition. Uh, manipulating the defense, knowing that the end goal was to get Kyle Corver an open shot. We've already seen it a little bit. We saw it in preseason. He had that behind-the-back pass to Green in transition for a corner three. That's going to be fun to watch all year long.
2: Oh, yeah, I cannot wait. Rain, fire, from down is all I'm asking Danny Green to do. That some half-decent defense, but again, a guy who knows his role, and you can see LeBron, as much as LeBron did not seem to be too enamored with the idea of getting um Anthony Davidson picking and pop and picking actions. he does seem to like the idea of finding snipers from the weak side from up top um getting ways to set him up with a shot that he thinks is a high percent of shot for a high level
0: punch shooters now Corbin was there anything else from this uh from this Lakers Clippers game that did uh, you had that you thought we should mention
2: um you know I, I really hope Quinn Cook plays a little better I was really high on him um See here, I mean, as, as a signing for the Lakers, as much as I, well, actually, no, I don't hate to say it, but I think that Rondo needs to come back at least a little bit. Um, I, I'm not too big on his three point shooting, 35% great, but on what volume and whatnot, and how big of a leader he is, and everything. But I do think having someone else who can bring the ball up the floor and get a team into an offense, even if it's holding the ball until you get a surefire assist, that's still something I'd like better than what we did see from the smorgasbord of, um, half-decent to mediocre guards in LeBron's absence. And then also, I, I think there was certain players LeBron just looked kind of rusty, but I really would just like LeBron to be that point forward and not play primarily as a point guard, bring in another guard as well. I don't know if that would be a Quinn Cook or someone who can space the floor but also can take the ball so that it's not LeBron James bringing the ball every single time. Because when it was other players, they just did not look comfortable doing it. And it's not like the Lakers have the multiple ball handling lineup of last year. <laughs> um, several of these guys cannot handle the ball for extended stretches. So instead of putting all that um, responsibility on LeBron from that end for that heavy workload, maybe, you know, some alongside uh, Quinn Cook for a couple of plays, um, or, or not a couple of plays, but a couple of games and see how that works. They're going to have another guard who can also bring the ball up and, you know, bring that high-level shooting ability that LeBron's teams usually love to use from that point guard
0: spot. Yeah, they definitely they, they definitely need a little bit more ball handling and, and playmaking out there, especially, again, when LeBron's on the bench. So, yeah, I, I think Rondo in a, uh, a limited role, limited minutes, could, could help in, in short bursts. Uh, another guy that uh, didn't play tonight, I don't even know if he was available for sure, but Alex Caruso, there's been a lot of hype around him maybe being the best two-way guard that the Lakers have because obviously Rondo and Cook are both uh, you know pretty poor on the defensive end. Uh, are are you expecting him to get some run at any point, and do you think he could help? I do, and I think that he definitely could help on the defensive
2: end. Um, a little bit of size, definitely solid defensively. I'm more worried about him on the offensive end. Um, he shot well toward the end of last year, but it was really on low volume and defensively really keyed in in that way, especially with the Lakers already out of a playoff spot or any hope of it by that point. So I'm anxious to see um, how he'll do. I know it was questionable for today. I remember only Rondo being out, but I know that he did have that. Um, Injury. I don't remember where it was. Was it a pelvis? I don't remember where. I don't want to just say a name, be wrong about it. But I know he was just coming back from an injury, and maybe the Lakers just trying to play it safe. I know he was in warmups. He wasn't in dress clothes, so that was something. Maybe they felt they need him and just wanted to nurse him back for you know the Lakers next game. But I do think that you'll have someone there who on the defensive end, some rebounding, can can bring um, some variants on that
0: guard spot that would be helpful for this Lakers team. Now, Corbin, there is one last thing I wanted to uh, to discuss with you before we before we wrap this up, and that is uh, the, uh, the the commentating and 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 some of the uh, the technical issues that happened on tonight's broadcast. At one point during the game, there was a a loud ringing sound. I made a joke on Twitter that I think I might have tinnitus, uh, and and uh, and then we we also had uh, a few comments. One notable comment from. Uh, from Chris Weber, where he said, I don't think Zion was injured during preseason. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, what does he mean by that? Does, it, does he honestly think that either, A, uh, Zion was, uh, was dealing with a, uh, with, a, with a torn meniscus prior to preseason, and the Pelicans let him play on it, or that they're just sitting him out for no reason right now? I, I want to say that he was in, referring or
2: insinuating the latter, but to me, and this is the same thing that kind of played Reggie Miller as well, and I mean, yikes! Yeah, first of all, um, I love Marv Albert. Yes, I love Marv Albert. He's amazing, great. But the dude's been slipping just a little bit on like getting some players' names mixed up, and you know, and it's not that big a deal. But I think when paired with Chris Webber, um, it, it, it does become a lot more um, pronounced, um, just because you have multiple errors on <laughs> on on the broadcast, I think it was one great tweet that was, um, <laughs> someone tweeted out that basically was like a dialogue between um, Albert and Weber. And Albert said, you know, great play by like some guy who wasn't actually on the team that he got mixed up with. fine. And then, um, Chris Weber said some random comment that had nothing to do with the game. And then, <laughs> Marv Albert went back to miss you know misidentifying another player. Um but I'm not trying to go for Marv Albert, he doesn't deserve this right now. Chris Weber, and to a lesser extent, Reggie Miller, need to realize I I am not even a color commentator or anything. I don't really have any experience there. Um I, I do find that intriguing. But if you don't have anything uh um,
0: Well, and the the two of them called him Mel instead of Melly for almost the entirety of the game. I think both uh reggie and 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 c webb could learn a thing from uh you know the the idea that that silence sometimes can be a positive you know you don't constantly have to fill it in the the drama of what you're seeing can be entertainment enough at times um and and yeah i love your point about uh, about marv he obviously is a legend and he, he's been a terrific broadcaster for so long but but yeah he's been slipping for for years and years and and he he makes you know, probably four or five mistakes every quarter, I would say, at this point. (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. And this is where I would say,
2: and I don't say it often, but Turner, their announcers, could really look at ESPN as far as their broadcasting team and just being solid, if nothing else. I mean, except for Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy, who can be annoying at times, for sure. Um, But far less often do I find myself having an issue with something they said or rolling my eyes at some bad joke or forced chemistry than um, watching Weber and reggie and albert where they can just you know give a decent call in the game okay actually i meant that because sometimes i hate to say it with mark jackson be very very annoying but in general it, it just it, it just pays to just be i don't know simple Less us more sometimes less is more
0: all right, Corbin. Well, yeah, this was uh, this was a heck of a lot of fun discussing everything about the opening night of the new NBA season, and I know uh, I can speak for both of us in saying that uh, this is going to be a, a really fun year, and uh, we're both going to be watching plenty of basketball. Thank you so much for coming on and taking the time. Hey, Garrett. I really appreciate it. I had a lot of
2: fun tonight. Definitely looking forward to talking more hoops with you uh, chatting and, and and keeping this moving forward throughout the year. It's going to be a fun one, I'm sure of it.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Dunkin' Dynasty. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, you can uh you can subscribe to the program on iTunes. If you can leave a a rating and review, that would be greatly appreciated as well. Uh the show is also now on Spotify. Uh if you can uh, give the show a follow again a rating on there, uh that uh, that really helps a lot. If uh, if you've got any uh questions or comments or uh, or ideas for uh for future episodes, uh you can contact me. Uh, on Twitter at Garrett Bouguet, and also uh, my email is g dash at onu.edu. So uh, feel free to uh, to uh, give me any of your uh, ideas. I, I love to hear from uh, from the people listening to the program. And uh, enjoy the next week of the NBA calendar. And uh, have a great rest of your day. Leftovers or the DMV
2: number
1: 97 or
0: house cleaning or